I'm Ramay Dreyer from the Spa Patriots and you are listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. Hi, this is Adam Hall and you're listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. Hi, I'm Natalie Haythorn-Twitt and I play for the England Roses Wing Attack and Goal Attack and you're listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Half Court Press Podcast. In this series, Behind the Kit Bag, we take a look at the world of sport from a different angle. Each episode will bring you a story from somebody who has a non-playing role within the sport of their choice. My name is Teo McLeod and I will be with you for each and every interview. For episode 7, we talk to Seven Oaks Sons and GB youth basketball coach Len Bush. Hello there, Len Bush. Hi, Tail. Thanks for uh, having me on. Well, thanks for joining me. So, you, I believe, are the head coach of the Seven Oaks Suns. That's correct. I've been uh, involved as a club since it was started about 16 years ago. And uh, we've steadily grown the club and uh, for the last uh, five years we've had one of the top women's professional teams uh, at the top of our club. So I've got to congratulate you. I believe there's uh, been a bit of silverware added to your cabinet recently. We did. At the end of January we won the National Cup, uh, which is one competition that we hadn't won previously, so that was good to get that. We played in the Birmingham Arena in front of, oh, I don't know, just between six and 9,000 people there, and it was a big, good day for us. Let's start at the beginning. What's your background? My background is um, from Chicago. Um, I, you know, growing up, played a lot of, played American football, played basketball, played baseball, um, but was uh, then post-high school, I went to, went to Harvard. Um, I played two years of football there. Was that a scholarship? Uh, well, Ivy League schools don't really give scholarships, so um, so basically you you go there, everybody you work your way in. So, um, but uh, after two years of playing football, I realized I was never gonna never gonna start at it. Um, I tried to play basketball, uh, but that would have late in the, uh, they had a coaching change, and as a third-year student, it was tough to crack into the program, and uh, so then I just uh, focused on my studies and played basketball for fun. Um, got had a business for six or seven years after graduating. I was a futon manufacturer, so cotton mattresses. Oh, nice. And uh, that was way back in the 80s, so it was a... Uh, I was one of the first futon companies. I did that for seven years, then got married, moved to New York, uh, sold business, then had to think of something else to do, and uh, came up with uh, teaching and coaching. And uh, I became a high school teacher in an inner city school in New York, in Queens, and uh, got back and started coaching basketball. Uh, um, what did you study at Harvard? What was your... your... I studied economics. Okay. And uh, never really, never really used it. 
So when did when did you start coaching? It was a high school team, was it? It was a high school team in New York City and Queens. Okay. Uh, so probably around nineteen eighty eight, maybe. Okay. And uh, I started with the JV boys, which would have been fourteen, fifteen year olds, and then then I coached uh, the varsity girls for a couple of years. So J- JV is that junior varsity? Yeah, that's what. Uh, so in uh, in a high school in America, you'll have a junior varsity and a varsity, and the uh, varsity would basically be the 17 and 18 year olds, and the JV would be the 15, 16 year olds. Okay. And then uh, then I coached the varsity team for five years, uh, and, you know, was having some success there, had a lot of fun. I came from a very good high school basketball program, so my coach in high school went on to become quite a famous uh college coach in America. Uh, his name was Steve Fisher, and he just retired from coaching uh, maybe two years ago. So he's, but he was hugely successful. Won an NCAA championship, and uh, most recently built a program up at San Diego State University. Yes, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get onto this in, in, a bit later, but it's... Um, I, know, I know the, the American college program is, is very strong. American colleges. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very, very strong, and uh, it's uh, quite well developed. And uh, even even high schools are you know, are big time in America uh, in most sports. Um, their uh, you know their facilities are great. The um, you know they get the crowds at games, and uh, and there's a lot of talented kids. I had quite a few talented kids in New York when I was coaching there. I enjoyed it a lot. And then the school, uh, uh, there were some changes in the school, and I said I was going to continue to teach there as long as it was, you know, I enjoyed it. And it started to get a little bit less, less pleasant. And I took a leave from teaching, was going to keep coaching. And then my wife got an opportunity in London, and I said, uh, let's, let's go to, let's go. You know, bring kids and we'll see how it goes. So, so what year was that? That would have been uh, 1998. Okay. And I remember, you know, I've often joked, you know, I didn't mind going because a lot of my, you know, my players in New York City were due to be released from prison soon. You know, it was a, quite a rough, rough crowd, had a lot of, uh, had a lot of interesting kids that I coached and, uh, um, had some successes, and had other kids who, you know, disappointed me a little bit. How so? Well, I have one boy who, you know, I did a lot for. I got him eligible to play. He had come to the school from a, he had been in trouble a few times, <clears throat> and he ended up at our school, helped him get eligible to play. You know, I took him, uh, uh, helped him get a, uh, scholarship to college to go play basketball, 
you know, in the summers, I would have them out to the house doing some work. And, uh, you know, I'd have them cut the grass or black cop driveway, whatever we did. Do some work and he made some money. And then uh, after graduating, he went off to school, played a bit in college. But then he came back one day and said, uh, Mr. Bush, you know, I need to... Uh, do you have any clothes? You know, I've got to go for this interview. I need some nice clothes. And I said, yeah, sure. So I gave him some, gave him some stuff I had. And uh, then about a week later, I get a call from him and says, uh, Mr. Bush, you know, I, I need you to speak to my lawyer. And the lawyer comes on the phone and says that Nigel's in a lot of trouble. Uh, he's been arrested for a series of uh, seven armed robberies. And, uh, you know, that was uh, quite serious. He ended up getting, I don't know, seven to ten years. And, uh, but I remember he wrote me a letter and he said, uh, you, know, this was like, you know, I came out to your house. I saw how nice your life was. And I just wanted to have, have your life. So I guess he thought if he had a lot of cash in his pocket, he could have, have my life. But uh, that was a bit disappointing. Yeah. Probably the biggest disappointment I had, because I would have helped the kid his whole life. Was this yeah. was was this um, a common sort of situation? In the, um, well, there there were kids. A lot of kids in New York need a lot of help. So there were success stories as well. I remember I had a young man who um, who we helped. We managed to get help him get into West Point. You know, which was American uh, military college, and, uh, with officers trained, and so he did very well. Um, so, but there were equally there were other kids who it didn't work out so well for. But, uh, it was there was never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. Of, how much do you think uh, coaching is is about? Um, Socially educating the, the 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 young players as it is about um, physically educating them. Well, I think it's massively. It's probably probably the things that you can teach them aside from the basketball or that apply outside of basketball are a lot more important. If I could go back to New York, and, you know, at the time I was a young, you know, I was probably in my early thirties, and I was. Uh, you know, I didn't have tons of experience at the time. But if I could go and do it now, it could have done, you know, had, had an even bigger impact on these kids because um, I'm a little bit smarter now. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's so much, uh, so many ways to help them other than, uh, you know, just basketball. And I tried at the time. I can remember. You know, it's important. I did have a kid who I worked with a lot, um, who was uh, an interesting case, very bright kid, good student, but just when he was starting high school, you know, a year or two before that, his mother had passed away from AIDS, and he was living with his grandmother, and he was a very angry young man, spent most of the four years of high school trying to keep him from uh, uh, getting into, you know, he'd get in a fight, or we'd just try and you know, keep from getting in trouble. And uh, and at the end of his high school career, he had a scholarship to a school, and 
It's nice how these things can uh, swing about a bit. So you've 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 had a a, a a a solid start to your coaching career in in New York. Um, you, you and your family then moved to uh, the UK. Correct. Uh, in, in what nineteen ninety eight was it? I think it was nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Uh, and then do you do you immediately go into into coaching again, or is there is there like uh, a clubs in, in, in Britain.
you know, we, we take care of, make sure that our best players get challenged, but we'll take anybody, anyone that can, uh, you know, show up and do the work, uh, they can uh, uh, be a part of the club. So I can honestly say we've never, uh, we've never cut a player or sent them home or told them they couldn't be part of seven ups. How, how important is that philosophy to you? And actually, I think right now it's probably we have a very quite a large group of young players, so under 14, you know, from the age of we've got like seven year olds to 13, 14 year olds. I think we have uh, 50 kids uh, that are in that group right now, which is uh, really rewarding. 50 girls, and they, uh, you know, go a couple times a week, 30. 30 or 35 of those show up for a session and uh, my daughter Renee and I uh, coach them and we enjoy it immensely and I'm, I'm really curious it's the biggest young group we've had I'm really curious to see how it filters through the rest of the club over the years Now when when your daughter Renee first um, got in contact with me uh, about, about this time I did a bit of research on her and found out that uh, that she and yourself are involved in the Great Britain youth setups for basketball. That's correct. Yeah. So I, I'm the current uh, GB under 20 women's coach. Uh, last year I was the GB under 18 women's coach, and I had another stint uh, about six, seven, eight years ago, eight years ago, where I was the under 18 coach for a couple of years, and then. Uh, prior to that, I was involved with under 16s and under 15s. Um, so I've been involved for quite some time. And Renee was my assistant coach last year, and this year she's uh, assistant coach with the under 16s, <coughs> which is uh, she's really excited about. So I, have, have you uh, have you gone the the full the full hog? Yourself, you citizenship yet? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. Have you have you gone the full the full Monty? Have you got yourself a British uh, citizenship? Yeah, we're uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a British citizen. So is uh, Renee. Yeah, both are. Whole family. Oh, nice. Oh, fantastic. Um, so how how do you find the standard between um, American basketball and uh, British basketball? terms of the international stand, uh, youth teams and how it's developed and I suppose the league as well is an important well, structure. The, the problem is the biggest difference is the depth. So and we have some players that are quite good. So I had a girl uh, named Sheridan Green who played for the GP senior women this summer, in their, this past year in their quest to make the Olympics. Um, and she, I coached her from the age of 10. She went to the University of Tennessee in America, which is one of the <clears throat> top 10 basketball universities. She's playing professionally in Poland right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't end up in the WNBA. So, so you can get the occasional player who's as good as most of the players in America. But the problem is, for every one that we have, America probably has 100. So, um, you know, it's sort of like we had, uh, we had Luel Dang on the men's side who was an NBA all-star. You know, and he was, you know, from Brixton. So, um, so you, 
you can get extremely talented players in the UK. You're just not going to get, you're never going to get as many as you get in America. Because in America, every kid is playing, playing basketball. Every school, every town, every park. You know, it's just, everybody plays it. Probably like football here, maybe. Yeah, well, we, we, we have... I think, I think in football we have um, we have lots of numbers, but we have we have, we have issues in terms of um, development and how we treat our children and what we're teaching them. Um, uh, at, well, in terms of there is an argument right now, a discussion right now in 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 the development of um, of English and British football players, of perhaps we're specialising too early. Um, from the age of seven or something and then just playing football and when we look at Americans and uh, we've had a few American goalkeepers in our league have done quite well Tim Howard Casey Keller um, who when they're growing up played a few different sports and their coordination is fantastic mm. they played baseball or basketball things like this growing up and their coordination is fantastic which makes for very good goalkeepers Right. Goalkeepers, um, and by so by restricting children from early age, getting specialised from too young an age, it's there's an argument of um, no, being I, negative. I think you're right. I think they have a. There are a lot of. I think it's an issue in the states as well. A lot of kids are pressured to <clears throat> specialise, but there are a lot of coaches who are strongly of the belief that you know kids should, up to the age of 14, 15, 16, kids should play many sports and they should be encouraged to play multiple sports. So I agree I agree with that. I think kids should play more than one sport. It's not that necessary to start to specialize that early. So I certainly would agree with that. When when would you when when would you start to specialize? coaching in in both male and female sports um, I've, I've I've read about I've read the opinion of another of a field hockey coach who was saying that he he would change his coaching style uh, to suit the gender um, is this something he that you change his coaching style yeah it, it become 
he was saying men, men sometimes need a bit. He, he can he would speak to male players differently to the way he would speak to female players. That would be um, female players. He, he found a bit more of a need a bit more of a conversation. Um, it was a, it was a bit more sort of bringing them in and having a, having a chat. Rather, it was met with the male players. It was. Uh, I maybe I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but uh, a bit more sort of uh, do- domineering. Yeah, I don't. I think that if I were to go back and coach uh, male players right now, I probably would coach very similar to how I'm coaching the women. And I think I would coach. Uh, it would be a bit different than I did the first time around when I was back in New York. So I've gotten a bit smarter, and I think the way of coaching at the moment is is a lot more. You know, help play, help players to uh, to make decisions, help them to see things, help them to become problem solvers. Um, so it's not, I would imagine back when I started, I was a lot more, you know, do this, do that, you know, and we're not really discussing it, but all the time now, I, with, with my women, we're, you know, we, we have conversations all the time, and a lot of times they solve the problems in the game before I've even, you know, taken any action on it, and that's happened multiple times, and I think I'm, I'm doing it a lot more with, with the young kids that I coach as well, you know, just talking to them. You know, I mean, there comes a time when you have to tell them, you know, that something's unacceptable. But I think humans respond better to, uh, to the conversational approach. You know, the, you know, collaboration, talking, cooperation. Um, you know, feeling like they own it a bit. Um, you know, and they're pretty good. They're pretty good at, at doing that. Would you say that when you are um, saying this is how it is, is that more to do with creating a culture? What we've done, yeah, we have a culture. We have quite a really nice culture at uh, Suns right now. Um, I don't know if it was a conscious decision, uh, how it evolved, but it's, uh, it keeps getting better. Uh, the most classic example I come up with is uh, we're playing in the final at the O2. <clears throat> this was four years ago, and uh, had some young had a couple young players and a couple of senior, you know, veteran uh, players, and so we were struggling in the first half. And there was a player on the other team that was giving us a lot of trouble. And I was talking to one of the uh, women at halftime about what we should do. Came up with a solution. And then just before we went on to the court for the second half, I said to her, you know what? I think we ought to I think we ought to not do that. I think we ought to just put Gabby on the on the have her guard this this player who was giving us trouble. And uh, the player just turns to me and said, Yeah, we've already talked about it, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so so they they had solved it already. And they didn't it's not like they had to run it past me. They just made a decision. And uh, so it was a big moment for me when that happened. I remember, but now, now it happens all the time, and, uh, and it's it's wonderful. 
how how important do you think the coach's role is within the team? Well, it's, it's very important because it, uh, but but it doesn't mean that you're you're controlling everything that goes on. So you're basically trying to create an environment where they can succeed, where they can play their best, and they can have success. So that might be um, just empowering them to make decisions or empowering them to help each other. Um, you know, I've also learned that, you know, I could say, you know, I could tell I could tell the players what we need to do. I could tell them 50 times, but it would be a lot more powerful if they told each other what to do. You know, if they, if they got together and decided this is what we're going to do. Me telling them, I've learned is one of the least effective methods of getting something done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell them. I can tell them, and I can show them video of something we're doing wrong, and then I tell them again, and then finally I have to sit down and say, look, clearly me telling you is not, is not going to solve this problem. So when you, as a group, decide that you want to do this for each other, then it will get done. But yeah, not, not. that's a, it's an interesting point of view. I suppose it's it's all about creating opportunities for for them to learn practically. Mm. Um, you know, coaches. I'm not one to, you know, when it doesn't work out. I'm, you know, it's, I'm not one to blame the kids either or the women. You know, it's if they're not doing what what we need to do to win and what we've talked about doing, then I haven't done a good job as a coach. Like, However I do it, I've got to get us to operate and do the things that we need to do to be successful. So saying it might work, might not work. Talking to them about it might work, might not. Showing them video of it might work, might not. But I just have to keep finding new new ways to communicate it, talk about it, until it gets done. But until it is done, (coughs) I haven't done my job. All right, so I'd I'd like to get get a few of your opinions on a, on a few different things. Um, the BBL, the British Basketball League, uh, how's for, the, for those of you of of those of um, the listeners who don't know much about the BBL, how long has it been going on? What's the standards like? Who doesn't? You don't know much. About well, well, well the, I don't. But I would imagine a lot of the listeners. Uh, of this podcast will know very little about the, the basketball right. in the so, UK. So the, so the men's pro league, you know, it's probably, I want to say it's been going on for 50 years, if not more. And uh, it's that, been in various incarnations. So that, I don't know if the actual BBL has been the name of it all that time. Was that 50, was that 5 years or 1-5? You know, so I think they were they were certainly around in the seventies. Might even have been something in the sixties. I'm not 100 percent sure. So, but it's it's been around, and they've had they've made progress. They do well, and then something goes wrong, and it takes a step step back. Um, I think the biggest at one point in time, probably in the seventies or eighties, they had quite a bit of money in it. They had sponsorship from uh, some big companies. They had. Uh, 
I think they were on um, one of the TV stations. I'm not sure which one. And then they uh, they left. They got a better offer. You know, maybe Mook said, "Oh, you know, we don't want to be on." Uh, I wish I could remember which was which. I think maybe uh, another station. Maybe they were on Sky, and then then ITV Four or something comes along and makes them uh, says, you know, we'll put you on, we'll give you a better deal. So they drop Sky, and then they the ITV deal falls through, and when they go back to Sky, Sky says, no, we got the NBA now, we don't need you. Oh, right. So so it was decisions like that that sort of set the league back a little bit. I think they're doing. There's some signs of life at the moment. Um, there's some good, solid franchises. I think they <clears throat> they need some of the franchises are a bit fragile. They need some money, um, but they're certainly making steps forward. The women's league. We started the WBBO uh, six years ago. Uh, the women's clubs. We all had teams in the first division of women's basketball and. We got together and decided we want to try and raise the profile of the game, raise the standard. So we took a, took it over and started running it ourselves. Well, the franchises. Um, excuse me. Well, the franchises are now running the league. Basically, the twelve women's clubs. We sit all sit together where we make our decisions for the WBBL. Yes. And you know we're it's new. It takes time. Um, it's going to need uh, patience and it's going to need some help from somewhere. You know, we're, gonna need to, we're trying to find sponsorship. Um, but I think it's a good time for women's sport. Um, and we just got to, you know, keep this thing going so we get some momentum. Uh, because, you know, it's a great, it's a great game. It's a great... Uh, spectacle to watch. I mean, our games are quite often certainly more entertaining than a lot of the men's games. Um, and, you know, you just see the see the work that we do. Um, I think people would support us. <clears throat> you saw the kids, the young girls coming into our club and how they just, their confidence and, uh, um, you know, presence just grows and they suddenly become a lot more uh, assertive and confident, uh, and feel better about themselves. Um, and then they, suddenly they're they're athletes. They uh, they need the women to look up to to them, the ones that want to that aspire to doing that. So we need the whole package. You know, the young the young kids coming in, kids in the middle, and the women at the top. If you could highlight two or three things to to develop and promote uh, women's basketball in Britain, what would it be? Um, it would be um, boy, two or three things to promote. We would need to be seen. So um, I think TV would be one um, uh, bigger presence in schools would be another, and uh, financial support 
would be the, the one as well. Did that, so what, does that uh, answer it? Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, I think we're talking about very similar things in my sport, field hockey. Um, if only we could get on the TV more, if only we could have more money, if only we could, you know, get into schools a bit more often. I think this is, uh, but it's, it's, I think it's slowly chipping away at culture and it's slowly, you know, trying to mould culture and an ethos in certain areas, I think, isn't it? It's, it, it takes a long time. The WNBA, which is the same top female professional league, and they're, they're, I think they're 20 plus years old, and it's only in the last uh, two, three years that they're, I really feel they're starting to make progress. So the games are shown on TV, the uh, men, male players, male NBA players are reaching out and supporting women's league. So they're attending games, they're talking about the women, um, the league. You know, Kobe Bryant's one of the steps. Part, you know, his passing recently was how much he supported the uh, the women's game. Um, you know, and it's uh, and it's. I used to have these conversations with my youngest daughter about, well, you know, is it really? There's not. There's no reason in the world why the women's sports can't be as big a spectacle as male sports. It's just culture. You know, it's just culture that's it's press coverage, it's prioritization. And, you know, the world is not all of a sudden gonna change and market female sports equally to male sports. It's gonna take a long time. But the truth is, or what we believed was uh, that these are just cultural decisions that are made all the time. You know, the hidden bias um, that somehow female sports aren't as important. I mean, you see it in uh, I women's the big controversy in the United States about their, the women's soccer team in the United States, the national team, which is a lot more successful than the men's team. They got, uh, you know, they got over 80,000 people to come to the World Cup final in Los Angeles, um, and yet they were paid considerably less than the men. And the president of the Soccer Federation of the U.S. just got fired because his office put out a paper in a court case because the women are suing for equal pay, um, saying that the, the, you know, the athleticism and, or, and it's, it's the play wasn't this, at the same level as the men's play. And that's just, uh, you know, to, to hear people say these things in this, and age, uh, and that's the basis for paying them less. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not, not good that we're hearing that now. Yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> I was, I, I was chatting to um, another person for, for this podcast who's lived in the States. He, he was saying, he was saying, was asking this question of should or, or can women be paid the same as as men. And we're saying in America, absolutely, because of the reasons you, you've stated. You know, it, you know, it's not like it's less competitive. It's probably more competitive in the United States for, for mm-hmm. women's soccer than than ma- male football. Um, yeah. So, and, and they have got the infrastructure there to pay women 
equally, if not yeah. if not more. Uh, and this is what we, I think we, we, what we moved on to was um, in, infrastructure. Where does the money come from to pay the players professionally? Yeah. Um, and how do you develop that? Uh, and that, that is fun, it's fundamentally it's a chicken, chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Of what yeah. comes first, talent or, or investment? And it has to be, I suppose... A bit of both at the same time, it, you know. Tag, yeah, as a we hammer. definitely need investment. We definitely need money, financial support, and uh, you know, men's basketball is the same. You know, in this country, <clears throat> the BBL needs. Uh, you know, they need people to to run these franchises who have a lot of money to to put the best product on the floor. Um, there's a very wealthy Turkish uh, investors just taking over a franchise in Plymouth, and you know, it'll be interesting to see what that does. Uh, going forward, you know, see if they if they drives that franchise up, then maybe the others have to up their game to stay with it. So, but I noticed. I remember one other question you were interested in was why I'm coaching women's sports. Was what, that uh, something you're? What? What? Sorry. Why? 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 You saying that one one angle could was. Uh, you know why? Why am I coaching women? Um, not, 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 not. Yeah, I mean, there can be. Inter- is there a specific reason why you're coaching women? Or well, reason why I started, which was my daughters. You know, I was. Uh, I started out coaching my kids, and they were all playing. And uh, so I coached uh, their the junior teams that they were on in this country, and I coached their school team. And but then they moved on, you know, went went off to college, and uh, I just I just have enjoyed coaching the women and building what we built at the club, and I don't really see any reason to move. To you know, I'm I'm 100 confident I could coach men's basketball and be successful. I don't doubt that for a second, but I also feel that on the women in the women's game that we just need we need good. We need good coaches, and uh, and I enjoy. You know, I just love the love the players that I've had. I enjoy coaching them, and uh, I just get get a lot of joy from it. And then we have to, especially with kids, how still some uh, children, some young young females are often not, uh, you know, not told that they're athletic, not told that they can do play sports, not told that they can in sports and uh, basketball is one of these games you don't have to be the greatest athlete in the world you can just you know, get to work at it and get some skills down um, you can be quite successful you know you don't have to be a pro but you can be uh, you know you can play and do well and on that note I think it's a fantastic time to uh, wrap up the interview I thought that would be quite a lovely sentiment Okay, Teo. Well, I've really I've enjoyed talking to you. I like talking about all this stuff. I don't know if we, you know, did it all justice. But uh, you know, if you if there was something you wanted to talk about in the future, I'd be happy to. And uh, I look forward to following uh, your talk, future podcast. Hi, this is Alex Dunn, and you're listening to the Half Court Press podcast. Kia ora, I'm Kimi Oropoi and you're listening to Half Court Press.
This has been a Half Court Press production by Teo McLeod.